Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He actually drove around for 24 miles with her at knife point. So it was clearly designed to induce kind of terror and fear. She's, she's developed this relationship with this guy. She's potentially told him incredibly intimate things. And suddenly, it's, uh, it, she discovers that, that this person is not real. Hello, my name is Simon Toyne, and I kill people for a living. I often spend days planning the perfect murder, figuring out what weapons I might use, and, more importantly, how I'd get away with it. But don't worry, I'm not a dangerous psychopath. I'm actually a fairly harmless crime writer. And my homicidal thoughts only go as far as the pages of my books and the occasional podcast. I'm also the presenter of the CBS reality television series Written in Blood. And this is the companion podcast. Here you'll get additional content, behind-the-scenes insights, and much more detail about the cases we feature and the authors I meet. This is the fourth podcast in the series, so I'm hoping that not only have you watched the first three shows and listened to those podcasts, but that you've also watched episode four. If not, I highly recommend you tune into that first, then listen to the podcast afterwards. That way, you'll not only avoid any nasty spoilers, you'll also discover the facts of the case in exactly the same way I did, which is a much better way to roll. In this episode, crime writer Angela Clark takes me to England's northeast, to Middlesbrough, to tell me the story of a sinister character called Peter Chapman. Now, that's probably not a name you recognise, and his crimes aren't particularly well known, but nevertheless, Peter Chapman was something of a criminal pioneer. But before we get stuck too deeply into his story, let's learn a bit more about Angela. Angela Clark writes what she describes as a social media murder series. In other words, crime fiction rooted in the modern-day worlds of Facebook and Twitter, Snapchat, Periscope, all that kind of thing. And while we were filming the episode, she talked a bit more about her writing and what made her choose this as the subject for her books. I couldn't not write books. I find telling stories comes really naturally and I've been doing it since I was a young kid and I can't help myself. 
I get up um, in the morning around about six-ish, um, try to be at my desk for about seven. I write for two to three hours and then I take a break and I usually do some form of physio or exercise. I go swimming or things like that. Then I come back, usually um, answer emails and all the kind of other boring things that get in the way. Then I have a nap, which is my favourite part of the day. And then I get up again and write some more because I've refreshed from my sleep and do a second kind of run at it, finish about kind of eight in the evening. I really enjoy the first stage of writing when you're getting your story down and you're kind of working out what's happening and you're getting it on the page. But I also really enjoy it when you're kind of halfway through the first major edit and it really starts to take shape and you really see what it's going to become. By the time I get to the later editing stages, I've become a little bit bored and sick of it and I just want it to be over. <laughs> and that's probably my least favourite bit. I didn't actually set out to write crime, it happened by accident. I wanted to write about the internet, um, but there was a very high body count and my agent pointed out that it was crime. And then I got quite excited about the idea of the intersection between the internet and crime and how that's kind of a new thing that's developing. And plus crime writers are really nice to hang out with. I really like using technology in, and the challenge of using technology within um, my crime books that I write instead of, for example, immediately trying to get rid of a mobile phone and uh, by saying, oh, there's no signal or, uh, or something along those lines. I mean, we live in a world where so much information is available at our fingertips. You know, if you could, if a, a cop could Google something, they're going to. It, you know, so much research is carried out kind of online and faster than it used to be uh, than it used to be possible to do. So I think it's really kind of interesting to kind of put that into the uh, into the crime genre and work with it rather than trying to kind of get rid of it. I think that crime fiction ultimately first is all about the story and its entertainment. We read books because we find them interesting. But I think it delves into kind of aspects of human behaviour that perhaps other genres don't so readily explore. And in that sense, I think it allows us to understand, readers to gain an understanding of different perspectives. A good um, crime writer should make every character empathetic, even if it is a character that is, would be seen as perhaps traditionally evil or traditionally bad. Um, and so I think it's important to kind of ask questions about how people got to places, what, what's happened in their, uh, in their past and make them behave in certain ways. So yeah, I think it's um, a good way to, to learn to appreciate things from different angles. I do get a lot of people saying that they haven't used certain types of social media once, and once they've read my books they won't be using certain types of social media and I always try to counter that by saying that social media is a fantastic resource. I myself use it to connect with other people um, who have similar interests to me, whether it's through work or kind of fun things similarly through um, I have a disability it's a great kind of outreach network in in that sense but with all aspects of life it's something that can be manipulated for evil for bad um, and there are things that I think we need to be a little bit careful of and a little bit wary of I think that the technology has developed much quicker than we can actually keep up with it we haven't developed the social norms the social etiquettes and sometimes even the laws to keep up with the pace in which the technology has been outrolled and so for me it's about asking serious questions about whether or not we are being responsible online and whether or not that's with regards to what we're doing ourselves or what we're doing towards other people as well so I hope that I raise some interesting questions without actually scaremongering people away from social media itself. Fiction always tends to be right up to date with the way the real world is evolving. 
In fact, if anything, it's generally ahead of the curve because as writers, we can ask the what-if questions about what might happen next in society but maybe hasn't happened yet. And one of the perennial questions of the modern age has always been what if technology turns against us? This has been explored extensively through science fiction. I mean, you know, think of books like Asimov's iRobot or Philip K. Dick's Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which was famously turned into the film Blade Runner. But you don't necessarily associate these themes with crime fiction. In Angela's crime books, she does tackle these questions, but not in a high-tech, shiny, metal, space-age kind of way. Her books are about how everyday technology can go very wrong. How social media and online networks, the very things that are supposed to bring us together, can sometimes be hijacked to bring us harm instead. As such, it's a subject that we can all relate to because it's not set in the future on some distant spaceship or planet. It's set within the very recognisable fabric of our everyday modern lives. In normal homes, with normal people, using Facebook and Twitter, the very same things her readers use every day in their lives. And that is what makes her book so scary and compelling. I have um, two big main groups of readers, uh, those that are would be probably classified as new adults, so those that are 25 and under. And then I seem to have a large amount of uh, women of a certain age, um, around about kind of 55 and over, and they tend to come at the books from two different angles. Those who are in the younger set know the technology, know the terminology, and know the social media kind of inside out, and they think it's just great that there are protagonists that reflect their lives. My two key protagonists are only 24 years old um, so they, they really relate to them in that sense the uh, for my readers who are slightly older those who are perhaps kind of 55 plus they find it quite educational in terms of the social media itself and how it works and I get a number of kind of letters emails and messages telling me that they now understand what their either children or in some cases their grandchildren are up to or are talking about or what they mean when they say certain things like lol <laughs> so. One of the dangers of writing about events uh, specific to a period of time, like Angela's social media series, is that they might date very quickly because technology is always moving on. And what might seem cutting edge one minute suddenly becomes old hat uh, within a year or so. But behind the methods of the crimes in Angela's books, um, operating online, broadcasting your misdemeanors or hiding behind an avatar, her stories are primarily about people. There are emotional stories about trust and betrayal, uh, fear and suspicion, revenge and justice, the same human motivations that have driven stories since the Greeks first invented tragedy. And it's this human element at the heart of Angela's stories that I think will keep them forever relevant. I just want to say at this point, um, now that we're four shows into the series, um, that I know very gratifying that quite a lot of you have been watching it uh, because you've been getting in touch with your views and questions. Um, I also know that a lot of you listening are aspiring authors. Um, and one question I get asked a lot um, and have done through the course of this series is about how to break through to being a published author. Now, the simple answer is there is no one tried and tested method. Um, everybody does it differently. The route to everybody's success seems to take a different path. Angela, for example, started writing an anonymous column about her experiences in the fashion industry for a newspaper, which was then published as a book. And from there, she switched to crime fiction and got a traditional publishing deal. <laughs> 
my story is that I started in television. Uh, I was a professional writer, writing scripts and proposals for almost 20 years. Um, always wanted to write a book, um, didn't know anyone in publishing, and um, decided one day that if I was going to try and write a book, I needed to devote all of my time to it. So I quit my job and finished the book. Um, I then uh, approached an agent. Now, I would always suggest going the agent route because the um, landscape of publishing is a very treacherous and constantly changing one and agents will help you navigate it they kind of look after your career really so I would go for an agent and the best way to find an agent is what I did is look at books that are similar to the one that you have written uh, and ones that have been published well by that I mean they've got a good cover they've probably sold well you know you've seen them in shops they've obviously been represented well you're aware of them so yeah find a book that's like the one you've written look in the acknowledgements because the writers always write acknowledgements and they will always 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 acknowledge their agent um because it's one of the closest relationships you have it's the closest business relationship then send your uh, manuscript in and good luck of course, all of this assumes that you've written a good book, um, and that is, I'm afraid, that's up to you. Now, in Angela's case, uh, the good story that she decided to write um, came from a real-life case. Her debut crime novel, Follow Me, was based on one of the very first murderers in the UK who used the online world to stalk his victims. His name is Peter Chapman, and as you'll know if you've watched the episode, he used Facebook to lure an unsuspecting victim uh, by forging an online relationship with a young, impressionable girl by posing as a much younger, more attractive man himself. But his story starts uh, way before Facebook was even invented, uh, with slightly more traditional sex offending patterns and repeated attacks against prostitutes. So Angela and I uh, started our journey through his case uh, by visiting the former red light district in Middlesbrough, where Chapman's criminal career began. So to begin with, he was assaulting women that he knew and uh, was then accused of, of that. He then moves to women that he doesn't know, women that are more marginalised, young women, people that are isolated, people that he doesn't have a clear connection with. The first sex worker that um, he told us that we are aware of um, uh, was 17. Right, OK. So, you know, that's, that's quite young, I think. Mm. So, so that's a, that's For both a, of them. A girl still, mm. isn't it? So, and, and 24 was the second, which is still not particularly... No. Old, you know. He's then um, changing his, his kind of MO in terms of he's actually creating a transport. He's stealing a car. He's um, creating a situation where he can move them to another place. Um, There's a kind of degree of control in that, isn't there? He's in control, it's power. The the second um, uh, sex worker that he took, he actually drove around for 24 miles um, with her at knife point. So it was clearly designed to induce kind of terror and fear and ring out that side of things. It was torturous. It was part of it for him. It wasn't just getting away from somewhere. Because no. otherwise you could just drive anywhere remote. I mean, it's, we're surrounded by countryside around here. And he did that two days after he had assaulted the 17-year-old. So Two days, that's two quite days. quick, isn't it? Because so normally it, there's repeat that, offences, there's... A longer way. His desire, his you know twisted desire that he has not been quenched by that um, uh, by that seventeen year old, but that he attacked the seventeen year old. He's he's been you know he's compelled to, to act again. He's um, he's needed more gratification and has almost immediately gone out and sought it. 
we found the first victim. The first victim was able to pick um, Peter Chapman out of a lineup. Okay, right. So yeah. And they had two victims for these uh, for these two uh, horrendous crimes. He was then charged and prosecuted and sentenced for seven years in a young offenders institute. So basically, he's in prison for nine years. Seven, uh, seven years. years, nice. So he's still going to be in mid twenties when he comes out. Yeah. So unless he's come out as a reformed, totally reformed character, I'm imagining a lot of these elements are going to feature. Attacking a prostitute is a, is a fairly typical, almost cliched way for a sex offender to begin offending. Sex workers are already marginalised by society and they work on the fringes of the law. So as a result, the usual expectation of police protection and justice if someone commits a crime against you is not as automatic for them as it is for the rest of us. Unfortunately, prostitutes are also generally held to be unreliable witnesses um, and their choice of career, if you can call it a choice, uh, somehow makes them seem like lesser victims if someone does seek to attack them. And because offenders know this, uh, it makes them easy targets, certainly for people like Peter Chapman. Forensic psychiatrist Jeremy Coyd revealed more about that motivation that a young man like Chapman might have to offend against prostitutes. Obviously, if the offence is the original offences, set of offences against prostitutes, he is choosing a particularly vulnerable and easily accessible um, and uh, offences from which it is easier to escape from. And he can justify... Of course, many men who commit offences against prostitutes say, well, they're asking for it, they deserve it, they're not. So there's always a whole issue about the way sex workers are viewed in terms of, of their work and how much sympathy um, there will be for them as, as bring it upon themselves by this line of work. You know, that, that is, so, that is, so all these things feed into the offender against pro- prostitutes, but probably in a case like this, accessibility, dark, shady places, on the streets, in a... In a flat somewhere, um, out of view, out of sympathy from the general public, thats it's a no-brainer that if you are, want to offend violently against a woman, top of your list um, in terms of getting away with it is going to be a prostitute. I've actually seen a clip from one of those victims talking about uh, being essentially raped and robbed at knife point by Chapman. Um, We couldn't use the clip in the programme, but I can tell you that years later, that victim was still clearly terrified when she recalled her ordeal. I mean, she talks very matter-of-factly about it. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, and as a working girl, I'm sure she's undoubtedly had lots of difficult situations she's got into and has probably had other confrontations. But it's also equally clear that this particular one stayed with her. Um, she talks about being very wary of a man uh, roaming the red light district um, and that they were even you know, watchful and looking out, but that Chapman had changed the car he was in and apparently even altered his appearance so as not to be spotted by these girls on the street uh, who were uh, vigilant to him. Um, and he did all that, clearly, so that he could offend again. Chapman is sent to prison for these offences, these uh, knife point rapes, um, and he goes to a Young Offenders Institute. Now, Young Offenders Institute used to be known in the UK as Borstal, after the very first one, which was opened in Borstal, Kent, in 1902. They are notoriously scary, often violent places, uh, with inmates uh, age ranging between 15 and 20. And the stated aim of these places is to educate young offenders and try and divert them away from the path of crime. But in reality, they are often understaffed, bleak places where young people become more hardened and educated in the ways of violence and criminality than anything else. Three quarters of young people reoffend within a year of leaving one of these institutions, and most continue further down the path of crime that took them there in the first place. Now, Peter Chapman was no exception. Here was a young man clearly driven by, in many respects, fairly normal urges to achieve sexual satisfaction. Except, in his case, his method of satisfying those urges is, was very far from normal. So he gets caught and goes inside, but rather than learning his lesson, uh, Angela told me how Chapman would go on to add a string of further allegations and offences to his record once he's released. It suggests to me that despite the warning he's had, this warning shot across the bows of going to uh, the Young Offenders Institute, he still can't control the urges that drove him there in the first place. Um, now, we all have some darkness inside us, and uh, most of us keep it in check most of the time. But for someone like Chapman, it seems that darkness was just too big and too strong for him to contain. And so, sooner or later, it was inevitable that it would come out again. I don't know why he would um, suddenly change the modus operandi 
to people on Facebook. Maybe he has decided that he's an IT whiz. Uh, maybe, or, uh, maybe this is something he prefers, uh, is sexually more aroused by a non-prostitute, female, probably younger victim or maybe not. Um, maybe that is the type of woman that he prefers. Um, and if, or, maybe, and these are all maybes because he would have to tell you this, maybe that is the best victim to vent your total rage on. That actually, if you really, really want to vent your rage, a prostitute is not good enough. It's got to be an innocent, poor young girl who you have lured into, and then you can really, really show what you feel against the world and its women. Ashley was a lovely, trusting girl. Um, she hadn't had a, a, a large number of boyfriends. She was relatively inexperienced. And um, she must have been very excited um, uh, and elated to have this online conversation, to have this budding relationship with this guy that she thought was outgoing, social, you know, attractive. And I can just understand how she would have been drawn into that. And carried away with the whole thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose that's the thing with this as well, the terrifying thing, is because previously um, Chapman's been targeting people on the margins. You know, he's, he's, his hunting ground, if you want to call it that, is the red light district. Completely And it's sex from... workers who are sort of, you know, kind of like slightly on the margins yeah. anyway. And now we're in a, in a, in a, in a lovely... Nice street, here. leafy green, domestic, a safe place, you know, places where it, where it's families, you know, where it's a, a, a young girl keeping hamsters and wanting to grow up to look after children and playing with your younger sisters. Yeah, I mean, you can look and there's little, you know, there's burglar alarms and there's little fences and, and gates and it sort of has a sense of, there's probably neighbourhood watch around here. This is, mm -hmm. you know, it just feels... Ordinary, urban, safe is what it feels like. It does, it does. And, you know, she had these whole conversations in her house. You know, she was at home online when she was having these conversations with DJ Pete. She would have felt safe. It would have... She'd be in know. her bedroom, yeah. probably surrounded by fluffy stuff. Yeah. But kind of, yeah, maybe the, the remnants of her childhood still there. She's yeah. Maybe a few posters. I know. And it's like, so you do feel safe, don't and, you? And, you know, she's been told that... Um, the guy that she's going to meet, her da his dad's coming to her. It's another na that's another adult, that's another parent. Mm. You're, you know, you're, you're automatically kind of thinking, you know, it's a parent, it's just a good person, somebody who is going to come and look after me. And it's, it's, it was not that at all. Towards the end of the film, Angela took me to follow in Chapman's footsteps, so to speak, um, and we drove the same route he drove after picking up his poor, unsuspecting victim, Ashley Hall. Um, what I remember about that journey, I mean, we did it during the daytime and uh, she, uh, Ashley's journey with uh, Peter Chapman was at night. Um, but even so, um, it was really noticeable how quickly you went from town to country. I mean, you know, within minutes you were out in countryside, which obviously at nighttime would have been pitch black. Um, and the thing, you know, we drove the journey in real time and it only took 15, 20 minutes to get to the place where she was killed. I mean, that's a short amount of time to go from security of being in your own bedroom and getting a text and being excited and thinking you're about to meet this guy you've been flirting with online. 
to being in terror and fear for your life and ultimately being murdered. I mean, that's that's how quickly things changed for Ashley Hall. Um, and um, it was really... It was very easy to uh, kind of imagine the emotion that she would go through. You know, she would have got in the car. And then remember, you know, Chapman's given a really plausible... Uh, reason as to why she's been picked up by this weird-looking dude in a car. You know, he said it was his dad, um, and he'd just come from work, and he was a bit messy, and he didn't want to meet his mum. It's all really calculated, but very plausible. Um, and so when she got in the car, as far as she was concerned, you know, she's she's got nothing to fear, and she's got nothing to be uh, apprehensive about. And I said to Angela at the time, you could imagine her almost sort of texting um, on her phone, sending a little message to... Uh, to the person she thought she was going to meet saying, yeah, your dad's picked me up. I'm on my way. See you soon, babe, or whatever. Uh, and just genuinely kind of being like any kid, being kind of giddy with excitement about um, going on a date with someone she clearly fancied. Um, and I said at the time, I wonder if like when she did that and sent that message, maybe she heard a buzz as, as the message obviously went to Chapman and not to the person. And he got a little alert on his phone. We don't know. We never know those things, but it's, it's those kind of things that you, you you do wonder. You know, I I wondered on that journey, that relatively short journey, at what point exactly Ashley realised uh, she was in danger. I mean, you would hope that she didn't realise until right at the last minute, and her her kind of terror, her ordeal was was very short. But I mean, we'll never know. So she's in the car now, um, you know, she's had this whole conversation with uh, who, this guy who she believes is her boyfriend online, um, she's been picked up by his dad, who she, this guy that she believes is his dad, and she's going to meet him, you know, she's still in familiar surroundings, you know, driving through the streets that she would have gone to and from school in. She, probably she still feels, feels safe. She feels it's all, safe. It's all as, yeah. And also, she's probably really excited. Because, exactly. you know, it's like, it's it's kind of illicit and exciting. It she's is. told a little white lie to her mum about where she's staying. Yeah. This guy's dad, so authority figure, has picked her up and is taking her to this assignation with this really hot dude who's got 3,000 girl followers. Exactly. And she's, you know, this is what she's probably been wanting for a, a long time. So she's, uh, uh, yeah, she'll be full of kind of hope and euphoria and everything. And it, it's that awful realisation of at which moment that changes, at which moment she realises that something is wrong. Um, so in this point, Chapman is got to be... You know, he he will be excited too. You know, he's yes. like he's got further than he's ever got. He's got. Yeah, she's in the car. She's he's in the car, the, so he's in uh, control. And at this point, you know, he has effectively kidnapped her. Yeah, but she doesn't know, and so no. you would presume that in his mind is to keep her, to keep her playing along and playing along with the fantasy of the fact that he's taking her to meet his son. Yeah. Uh, for as long as possible, because then she's not going to get suspicious, exactly. she's going to go along with it and everything. Get further and further away from her home and, um, and, and from safety. And yes, but, uh, presumably they did watch chat, make small talk, you know. Perhaps he asked her how she was feeling about um, about seeing Pete, you know, perhaps she said... How does she know him? Or yeah, uh, you know, uh, in one of the text messages that is that um, that he'd sent to her when he was pretending to be Pete's dad... He'd said, you know, Pete's really looking forward to seeing you, really looking forward to meeting you. So he's kind of like, he's, he's elaborating the, he's, the, the fantasy. Exactly, he's building it, you know, he's giving her all these multiple reasons. And she would have been, you know, in the car, chatting, excited. 
I just have this thing, just on a kind of novelist point of view, I'm imagining her getting in the car and sending a text. Yeah. And it buzzing in the driver's pocket. Oh. And her thinking, maybe, you know, is that coincidence? I mean, that's the scene you'd have in the movie or the book, wouldn't you? At which point she realises. I mean, God, imagine if that happened. Imagine if that happened. And does he lock the door so she can't get out? But then she's like, you know, we're driving along now. We're doing, what, 40 miles an hour? Even so, you're not going to jump out. What are you going to do? You're sort of, you're in, aren't you? Even if you And she wants to to believe it, doesn't she? That's the thing. She's committed. She doesn't want, you don't want to go, I've done a really stupid thing. You're like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's just coincidence. And yeah, exactly. You, you, You tell yourself it was coincidence. You tell yourself that it's still okay. You know, she could still be believing it. Maybe she sends another text. It buzzes again. He must have thought, this is it. You know, he's had two failed attempts. He's spent all this time building the, this persona. He's built all of these relationships. He's, he's worked on these, uh, on, these, on these relationships, on, these, on this grooming. You know, this is, this is, this is a combination of, of, of years of work, starting from... Um, finessing that, his... Um, yeah, yeah finessing starting his from technique. that computer course, you know, stealing a laptop... Um, making sure that he's vanishing from uh, from the police kind of radar, disappearing under the radar, and he's built this whole online persona. He's you know he's developed a questionnaire that that helps him basically groom people. He's then worked on specific people who've responded positively to that, built up relationships with them. He's had two failed attempts where he's tried to meet um, some of these women and, and it hasn't worked. And now finally he's got this young girl in the car with him and I, I think that even if part of him did believe or hoped that she might that, that this young girl might go along with this in some way she is going to reject him and then that's surely going to make him angry and that's going to it, uh, yeah it's just going to fuel his violent yeah. response It's a very clear progression through everything that he's done has been working towards this point. He's very focused. There's a, a very repetitive nature to the particularly horrific bits of the crimes, whether it's the rapes or the rapes at knife point, the rapes at, you know, and it's, it's, it's just it's just continual that just keeps coming up and the other crimes that he's committed whether it was the art was potentially the arson then we think that's probably anger related you know it's a, it's a sort of a lash out but the other things like um stealing the laptop it's just facilitating mm, it's tools for what he for for what, his ultimate thing and he was sentenced and convicted for um Murder, rape, and kidnap, and sentenced to 35 years. 35 years. 35 years. So, murder, the difference between murder and uh, manslaughter is, you know, is premeditation. Yeah. And so they said he planned to murder it. You know, they decided. They definitely decided that he. That w- it was murder. That it was murder, and that they were going. That there was a chance. I think the the sentence reflects the fact that they thought that he might do it again. He's a danger to society. Yes, I'm kind of very pleased about that. Yeah, I, I am as well. I mean, you, you and also. I think I could fairly confidently say that there are victims in his past sex workers who... Who didn't come forward. Who didn't come forward, or who's tr- or the ones for the trials who's, who collapsed, that the trials that collapsed, that he is, you know, he, he shouldn't be out. Mm-hmm. He's going to do it again, and on their behalf as well, I feel thankful that he's locked away. I remember when we were recording uh, the, um, this particular episode, uh, one of the things that particularly struck me was what happened 
after Chapman um, killed Ashley and dumped her body and drove away. Because he was caught pretty soon after, um, and, and he was so soon after that the police didn't even know they were looking for him as a murder suspect when they caught him. And the only reason they caught him was because his car number plate was picked up by traffic cameras um, in connection with an earlier hit and run. Um, he was then questioned about that and also about uh, an arson he was um, a suspect in. And it was during this interview that he suddenly, out of nowhere, confessed to murder. Now, if you've watched the show, you will have seen the incredible CCTV footage in the police station of the moment when Chapman confesses. And the thing is, it's not a big emotional breakdown or a sneering brag or anything like that, but the most mundane, matter-of-fact um, episode you could imagine. And when you watch Chapman, it's like he's admitting to something minor, like, you know, breaking someone's window or backing in someone's car and driving away without leaving a note. Which makes you wonder if he truly understood the enormity of what he'd done. I mean, he doesn't look like a man confessing to something that will put him behind bars for the rest of his life. So was he aware of what he was doing at the time? Did he really mean to kill Ashley? Or had he not even thought about anything beyond his you know, primary objective of getting her alone in the car with him? One thing is for certain is that Peter Chapman was a man driven by his uncontrollable sexual urges and those those urges grew more and more demanding over the course of his criminal career so would he have killed again if he had somehow got away with ashley's murder to my mind there is only one answer to that question and that is a resounding and chilling yes This podcast is the accompaniment to the TV series Written in Blood, which airs on Sunday nights on CBS Reality at 10pm. Please feel free to uh, tweet me any comments or questions at Simon Toyne, all lowercase, all one word, uh, using the hashtag Written in Blood. Or contact me on my Facebook author page. Um, it's very easy to find. There aren't any other Simon Toyne authors, so if you just do a search for that, you will find me. And it's always great to hear from you. Next week, I'm in Wimbledon with detective-turned-author Luke Delaney. Uh, the podcast for that show will be live immediately following the programme, or you can hit subscribe now to make sure you don't miss the next instalment. That's it from me, so thanks for listening. I'm Simon Toyne, and this has been the Written in Blood podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.